Researchers are looking into many factors that may cause autism spectrum disorder, such as genetic, environmental, medical, or dietary factors. One recent study demonstrates the impact that vitamin D may have on social behavior associated with autism spectrum disorder. You're listening to ReachMD. I'm Paul Rakuski, your host. And with me today is Dr. Rhonda Patrick, a postdoctoral fellow at Children's Hospital Oakland Research Institute, better known as CORI, and Dr. Bruce Ames, Senior Scientist and Director of the Nutrition and Metabolism Center at CORI. Dr. Ames is also a Professor Emeritus of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology, University of California, Berkeley. Welcome to both of you. Hello. Thank you. So, Dr. Patrick, could you give us a little bit of your background? Sure. I got my PhD in biomedical science in 2012, um, did my graduate research at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, where I studied the role of metabolism and specifically looking at mitochondrial metabolism and how it relates to cancer. And about a year and a half ago, I moved out to the Bay Area and joined the laboratory of Dr. Bruce Ames where I began looking at how nutrition can affect the way we age. As Bruce will tell you in a minute, we we sort of got sidetracked on this other project regarding vitamin D and autism. And Dr. Ames, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, I got my PhD at Caltech in 1953, so you gather I'm pretty old, and worked at NIH for 15 years, National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, and moved out as a professor at Berkeley, and at one point I was chair of the biochemistry department at Berkeley. And then in 2000, our building turned out to be the most dangerous building on campus for earthquakes, so they said they're going to kick us out for three years, and I was pretty old and didn't want to cut my lab in half and be squeezed somewhere around campus, and my interests are much more in preventive medicine, what's causing disease and how do you prevent it. So I've been working more with docs. So in 2000, I moved over to Children's Hospital of Oakland Research Institute, and it's close to the Berkeley campus, and I've been very happy there. And my main interest now is I think the low-hanging fruit in disease prevention is in nutrition. So we're making some advances in looking at the big picture in nutrition. What prompted you to study vitamin D deficiencies? There are about 30 vitamins and minerals you need to get in your diet. You don't get any one, you die. We came up several years ago that when you get a little low on vitamins and minerals, the body does a rationing, and it puts that vitamin and mineral in the proteins that are essential for survival. And those proteins that need it long-term, preventing cancer, preventing heart disease, they lose it. And so I've been thinking about vitamins and minerals in, in the big picture, and Joyce McCannon had a beautiful review about developing fetus and how much vitamin and mineral shortage affect fetus, and they, of course, do. And she had written a very nice review on vitamin D. So at the time, I learned a lot about vitamin D. Then I came across a paper, a former postdoc of mine was one of the authors, and it pointed out that autistic cells didn't grow well on tryptophan. Tryptophan goes to serotonin in the brain. And I started reading up on it and found there was really a lot of evidence linking serotonin, which is a hormone and neurotransmitter and brain morphogen. It's synthesized from tryptophan. And I went to Rhonda, who had arrived recently in the lab and who's a bundle of energy, 
and said, do you think there's some connection between vitamin D, which had been linked to autism, though not quite as securely as tryptophan and serotonin had, vitamin D hormone might be having something to do with making of serotonin. And Rhonda took it from there, and it's been she's been going on the project like a steamroller. So, Dr. Patrick, uh, what was the study design that you put in place for this? Actually, this was not a clinical research study, so we didn't actually have any any subjects involved in this study. It was uh, largely um, theoretical work. So, um, as Bruce mentioned, vitamin D gets converted into a steroid hormone, which actually regulates the expression of genes, over 900 different genes in our body. And I I found this paper where they had looked at various different genes that were potentially regulated for, regulated by vitamin D. So genes, um, in order to you know do what they're supposed to do, they have to be turned on, and they have this little telltale sequence in their in their DNA that vitamin D um, can recognize and can can either activate, turn it on, or turn it off. And so um, this paper that I had found had found like over 900 genes in the human body that had these sequences in them that were potentially regulated by vitamin D. And one of these genes was tryptophan hydroxylase, which is the rate-limiting enzyme for serotonin synthesis. So tryptophan hydroxylase takes tryptophan and can convert it into 5-hydroxytryptophan, which then gets converted into serotonin. What was really interesting is is that I found that there's there's two different genes in the in the human body, uh, two different tryptophan hydroxylase genes, which encode for these en- make separate enzymes, and these these tryptophan hydroxylase enzymes are located in different tissues. Um, so I found there's a tryptophan hydroxylase one that's that's expressed in tissues outside the blood-brain barrier, like the gut, and is responsible for making serotonin in in the gut where it, it plays a role in um, inflammation. Um, and in contrast, there's another gene, uh, tryptophan hydroxylase 2, that makes serotonin in the brain and only in the brain. So what I found was that vitamin, there was a sequence that, turned, that was a turn-on sequence for serotonin in the brain, and there was a sequence for this tryptophan hydroxylase that turns it off in the gut suggesting that vitamin D regulates the production of serotonin in opposite directions in different tissues. So we think vitamin D hormone turns it off in the gut and turns it on in the brain. And so that was, and then we found a lot of evidence in the literature to support this, um, but that was really the, the groundwork and the, ba- the basis of this paper. So Dr. Ames, there's a lot of info in your study on low serotonin in the brain and low vitamin D levels. What does this mean for the physician? Now, physicians have been very drug-oriented. You have a disease, you look for it, and big pharma comes up with a drug, and the physician finds the best drug for each disease. But physicians get really very little training in nutrition, and a few, of course, learn the field, but most physicians aren't really very expert in nutrition. And bad nutrition, I think, is what's... uh, causing all the acceleration of aging. And we've been writing theoretical papers about that and finding evidence for it. And so right now, physicians have to, when we talk about the disease of of aging, have to rethink what their whole idea 
about how to treat these disease of aging because we think it's much more likely to be vitamins and minerals. There's 30 of them, and, and practically every pathway in the body has proteins that need magnesium or need zinc or need paradoxal phosphate. So all these vitamins and minerals are essential for all sorts of different pathways. And if you eat a bad diet, then you're in trouble. I've gotten away a little from the vitamin D, but vitamin D goes to a steroid hormone, as Rhonda said. 900 genes is some appreciable percentage of the genes in your body, and lots of them are in the brain. So this is a really important hormone, and Americans are really mostly deficient in vitamin D. Vitamin D is cheap. Anyway, uh, there are a lot of implications. I think we made the case for prevention, what vitamins and minerals are essential for making serotonin in the brain. If you lower serotonin, as Rhonda will tell you, you get all sorts of horrible effects in normal people. And so serotonin and oxytocin and vasopressin are three hormones that really control social behavior. And vitamin D hormone is the one that's controlling all three in the brain. So it's a really important aspect of human behavior is controlled by. Yeah, so if I can just chime in here, you know, you, you ask what it, what it means to the physician. And, and you know, because we... Th- we think serotonin, it's been shown that serotonin plays in a really important role for early brain development. That is, it's a neurotrophic factor that actually shapes the structure of the developing brain and the wiring and the connections between the neurons. And when you have low serotonin during early brain development, whether it's fetal brain development or neonatally, you know, when your brain's developing in the first couple of years of life, that can affect the way your brain is, you know, shaped. And so we think that Physicians should advocate vitamin D testing, getting your levels of vitamin D tested for, you know, your, for the families and, and particularly prenatally, prenatally and, and, for, the, and for children. Um, it's a really simple test. It's cheap, and it'll tell you whether or not you, you're getting adequate levels of vitamin D. There's been studies showing that some pre, these prenatal vitamins don't have high enough levels of vitamin D in them. So over 75% of, in one study, over 75% of the women taking a prenatal vitamin were still had uh, insufficient levels of vitamin D after taking this prenatal vitamin, suggesting that the vitamin D levels weren't high enough. And also, if I can chime in, years ago, we fortified one of our foods with vitamin D, but it was the wrong food. So they put vitamin D in milk. They didn't really put enough in. We've learned a lot more since. But there are 50 million people in the United States who are lactose intolerant, and they just don't drink milk as adults. So it wasn't a good way of getting vitamin D into adults. Now I think they add a little bit to orange juice, but again, it's not enough. So the same question for you, Dr. Ames. So we talked about what it means for a physician. What does the low serotonin in the brain and low vitamin D levels mean for the layperson? Well, that they ought to, if the physician doesn't request it, particularly if a mother is pregnant, she should make sure she has enough vitamin D. Now, the vitamin, it's called a vitamin, but Vitamin D is a little different than most other vitamins and minerals. Most vitamins and minerals you get from your food, the ones are the essential ones. But vitamin D, um, if you eat an, a lot of fish, you can get a, some vitamin D. And, but it's mainly about getting it through your skin. 
So the ultraviolet B in sunlight, that's the burning rays of the sun, does one step in the synthesis of vitamin D that humans can't do. So we have a compound called 7-D-hydrocholesterol in our skin, and that's a cholesterol derivative. And the ultraviolet light converts it into the precursor to vitamin D. So then you're making your vitamin D by being out in the sun. Now, obviously, there's a trade-off there. There's too much sun can give you melanoma or basal cell carcinoma or basal cell cancer or squamous cell cancer. So most dermatologists have been telling us, keep out of the sun, keep out of the sun, put on sunscreen. But it's a trade-off because you need to make your vitamin D. And also, melanin in the skin is the brown color in the skin. And that is in people who live in tropical areas because ultraviolet B is burning. It burns your skin. And so they have developed high levels of melanin in Africans and Southern Indians and people in New Guinea, racially very different people. But if you're in the tropics, you need a dark skin or in uh, hot areas, uh, a browner skin. And that prevents you making your vitamin D. So if you put a a light-skinned person like an Irishman in Australia, they're in trouble, and what they need is a hat and sunscreen. But if you put a dark-skinned person in a northern latitude, then they're getting very little sun, and they're in trouble, and they can take... But a vitamin D pill is very cheap. So it's one of these trade-offs that people have slowly realized that is important. You need... I was in Denmark uh, for a meeting a couple of years ago, just at the beginning of spring. And Denmark sort of has no sun. It's always cloudy and all of that. The weather isn't great. Anyway, the, there were three beautiful days in a row, California days, but not a cloud in the sky. And every Dane was, had a, most of their clothes off and they were lying in the sun. And I asked a few of these Scandinavians, how come? And they said, oh, we're built that way. If there's any sun, we want a sunbathe that makes us feel good. And I think it's turning on all these hormones that make them feel good. And nature has made it so they try and catch every little bit of sun and the skin as wide as possible to get the sun so they can make their vitamin D. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm your host, Paul Rakuski, and I'm speaking with Dr. Rhonda Patrick, a postdoctoral fellow at Children's Hospital Oakland Research Institute, better known as Corey, and Dr. Bruce Ames, Senior Scientist and Director of the Nutrition and Metabolism Center at Corey. We're talking about vitamin D, serotonin synthesis, and autism. So, Dr. Patrick, your study suggests that the precipitous drop in adequate levels of vitamin D in the U.S. is concurrent with the rise in autism rates. Can you elaborate on that, and what data do you have to support that claim? Sure. Um, So this is mostly correlative data, you know, where, as Bruce mentioned, there's a large percent of the population in the U.S. that has inadequate levels of vitamin D. And if you look back, the National Institute of Health conducts these large surveys, nutritional surveys, where they examine various vitamin and minerals in in people's diets, and, and also they look at vitamin D levels. And if you look at these surveys, uh, between 1988 and, um, let's see, 1988 1988 and uh, 
2000, I think, uh, people's levels were, you know, over over 50% of the population had adequate levels of vitamin D. Um, and then as time started to go on between 2000 and 2004, the levels started to drop. And now we have, you know, less than 30% of the population has adequate levels of vitamin D. And if you look at the same time frame of autism incidence, between, you know, the same time frames, the autism incidence was really low when the vitamin D levels were much higher in the U.S. population. And now autism incidence is much higher in the same time frame that the vitamin D levels have dropped. So it's really, there's no causal uh, data showing that it has, you know, caused uh, the rise in autism, but there's, there's certainly some correlative data showing that as our vitamin D levels have dropped because we're wearing sunscreen, because, you know, we're staying indoors, playing computer games, um, you know, on our computers, uh, we're, we're not getting outside as much, and so we're relying on vitamin D from our diet, and because vitamin D is only high in certain foods like fatty fish, and if you're not eating fatty fish every day, um, and you're not taking a vitamin D supplement, then you're almost certainly uh, low in vitamin D. And in fact, one of these nutritional surveys that were conducted found that 96% of the U.S. population that is not taking a vitamin D supplement has inadequate levels of vitamin D. So that's, that's really the, the data that correlates the, the drop in vitamin D levels and uh, the rise in autism rates. So Dr. Well, Ames, you touched... On, if I can... By all means. For one minute. It depends on your latitude if you're up... If you're in Chicago or Minneapolis, then you're getting much less sun than if you're in Florida or Southern California. So it's latitude, it's skin color, it's how much you're outdoors. Uh, so you can get a rough idea of uh, those variables, but really you can measure it. Exactly. There's a, there, there's a lot of correlative data showing that, for example, you know, children that are born in, in regions where there's less UVB exposure uh, as Bruce mentioned, UVB uh, light is needed to, to make vitamin D in the skin. Uh, children born in, in those regions with less UVB exposure, the autism um, incidence is much higher in those, in those regions. Um, and also there's, the, there's been a, a few studies looking at, for example, Somali women that have migrated to northern latitudes like uh, Stockholm, Sweden, or, or Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, they have an almost five-fold increased risk of having an autistic child compared to the natives. Um, so, and, and they also have extremely low vitamin D levels, less than 20 nanograms per mil, which is considered severely deficient. We're hoping there's going to be more studies looking at, you know, maternal vitamin D levels and, and autism. Um, there has been a few studies looking at low vitamin D levels in mothers and uh, the risk of having a child with language impairments um, and attention switching difficulties, which are both, um, these are two characteristics that are associated with autism. When Rhonda found that one tryptophan hydroxylase was in the brain was activated by vitamin D hormone and one in the gut, which is a stronger one, which actually is making more serotonin, was inhibited by serotonin. It had something to do with circadian rhythm because at night, serotonin is converted to melatonin, which is a hormone that puts you to sleep. So uh, it's all connected with circadian rhythm and night. But anyway, Rhonda's observation explains so many things that were known about autistic kids that nobody understood. Uh, the level was high in the blood and low in the brain and things like that. And this explained it all. So that gave us much more confidence we were on the right track. And the further she dug, the more things 
more facts were explained. So it was known that girls get little autism compared to boys. Boys get autism at about five times the rate of girls. So why is that? Well, Rhonda found that the estrogen is also a steroid hormone. has a very, the estrogen receptor binds estrogen and goes into the nucleus and binds these genes at the estrogen response element. Well, the vitamin D response element looks a lot like the estrogen response element, and it turns out there was evidence in the literature that estrogen could do the job. So that explained a lot of things. Anyway, we, she explained more and more things the deeper she got into all of this, and we became more and more convinced that the theory explained the cause of, of most autism. Now, of course, there's genetic uh, in any disease, there are genetic factors, but genetics wouldn't explain. Uh, uh, well, why don't I let Rhonda talk about that? She did the work. So, I guess as a follow-up to this, um, why hasn't the incidence of an ASD diagnosis been witnessed even more prominently along ethnographic lines? Um, you know, current autism incident rates show a higher percentage of Caucasian males than any other population. Can you relate your findings to that data? Yeah, so actually there's a positive association between socioeconomic status and autism pre prevalence. So the higher the socioeconomic status, the higher the autism prevalence. And this has been shown in several different studies. Um, and, you know, so if you look at multiple studies, they have shown that children from lower or medium, you know, socioeconomic statuses are being under-identified and underserved relative to those from a high socioeconomic status. So, um, you know, different studies have tried to now account for socioeconomic status when they're looking at different races and, ethnicity, and ethnicities um, because it is a really important factor um, that can confound your data. Um, and so, actually, They've, they've shown that, that children from darker-skinned Americans actually have a twofold increased autism incidence compared to lighter-skinned Americans when you compare them from the same socioeconomic status. Um, you know, there, there's been studies that have looked look, looking at, you know, why is it that children from lower socioeconomic status are underdiagnosed and underidentified, and, you know, there's, there's probably a real variety of different reasons. Um, many, many of these families use health and mental care services less, less frequently. Um, so, you know, and, and why that is, you know, there's, we can only speculate, you know, the access or, you know, what, what not. So there's, there's a variety of different uh, proposals as to why they're using these, these health and mental care uh, services less frequency. But uh, the reality is, it's, is that they're definitely being underdiagnosed. And so um, it's something very important to consider. Now, in terms of the males, as Bruce mentioned, males have an almost four, four or five-fold increase in autism incidence, and we think this is because, as I mentioned, serotonin plays a really important role in shaping the structure of the brain and the, the wiring, the connections of the brain um, during early brain development. And we found that estrogen can actually increase the production of serotonin synthesis, much like vitamin D can in the brain. And estrogen in a young neonate is much higher in a female brain, like in the, in the cortex region. So we think this may be why females could be protected because they're making more estrogen in this part of the brain and therefore it can uh, compensate for low vitamin D levels because it's able to boost the production of serotonin in the brain. And Rhonda also found 
that oxytocin, which is a peptide hormone, not a steroid hormone, that's the hormone that when a woman has a baby, her oxytocin goes shooting up and it bonds her to the baby like glue. So it's the trust hormone. And women have higher levels, they're more trusting than men. And the psychologists and economists have done these experiments where people play these games that the trust of somebody they don't know, and women are always more trusting than men. And if you spray oxytocin through the nose of the men, that's a backdoor to the brain. You can't otherwise get it through the blood-brain barrier. The men become much more like women. They become more trusting. The hormone is controlling tocin. It also controls vasopressin, which is a similar kind of hormone that has to do with social behavior. So the three main hormones that have to do with social behavior are all controlled by vitamin D. Rhonda, do you want to tell them about the studies that people have done lowering serotonin in the brain? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll talk about the ones as they relate to autism. As I mentioned, you know, autism is, is important for brain development, but it's also important for social behavior. And they've causally shown this in humans because you can deplete someone of their brain serotonin by depleting them of tryptophan, which is the essential precursor to make serotonin. Tryptophan is a rare amino acid that we get from our diet, and it must get transported into the brain in order to be converted into serotonin in the brain. And it competes with other branched chain amino acids like leucine and isoleucine, which are much more abundant in proteins that we eat. And it, it gets out competed by these branched chain amino acids. So you can give someone a big shake of branched chain amino acids and within a few hours, their, their serotonin levels in their brain will drop by like 80%. So it's a really elegant way to study the effects of low serotonin in the brain on behavior in humans. And they have a variety of different behavioral tests they can do to, to study different types of behaviors. But in, in terms of relevance to autism, they've shown that depleting tryptophan from normal individuals, what happens is that it results in their ability to process facial expressions, emotional expressions, uh, is impaired. So, for example, processing facial expressions of fear is impaired, much like, much like it is in autism. So it's very interesting uh, that you can take, take a normal person and, and deplete their tryptophan, and they start to have these, these problems with uh, you know, depleting tryptophan. They also get um, sort of impulsive, and you know, they can, they, it changes the way they behave. Um, and also they they, they've done this in, in the world. Right. They've done this in, in autistic individuals, when they deplete their tryptophan, it exacerbates some of their autistic behaviors. Um, so we really do think this pathway plays an important role in, in autism. And as Bruce also mentioned, people have, you know, there's one of the most consistent biochemical observations in autism has been disruption of the serotonin system. They've measured high levels of serotonin in the blood, you know, dating back even 50 years, and low levels in the brain. And, and no one could figure out this, this anomaly, why there was high levels in the blood and low levels in the brain um, in, in autistic individuals. And we know now because there's two separate genes that are making serotonin in these different tissues, and uh, that since we uncovered their vitamin D is turning one on and turning one off, it makes it made sense to us. So all this work is theoretical in the sense that all the facts were lying on the ground and Rhonda picked them all up. And you couldn't have done this before the age of Google, Viva Google, because 
you'd spend the rest of your life in the library and try and find all these facts, and it was hard to do. Now with Google, you can find all it. And so it's doing a theoretical paper like Rhonda did. I mean, it required learning new fields and, and learning all the, and reading literature in areas you didn't know about, but she was a terrific scholar, so I take my hat off to her. Dr. Patrick, on treatment and prevention, what do you feel the appropriate next steps are? Well, I really feel going back to your question on what it, what this means for the physician or for the layperson, uh, it just it all goes back to being proactive to getting your vitamin D levels tested. It is a very simple test. You get some blood drawn, and they can you know test your vitamin D levels by looking at a precursor called 25 hydroxy vitamin D in your blood. And, and that, you know, depending on what your blood levels of vitamin D are, that'll tell you whether or not you're, you're getting adequate levels of vitamin D. If you're getting out in the sun, um, you know, spe- spending enough time in the sun or getting enough from your diet. And like we said, most people actually aren't, and people don't realize this. Most of the population is actually not getting enough vitamin D. So I think being proactive about getting your levels measured and taking a supplement that'll you know, raise your levels up to an adequate status is extremely important. And and this is, you know, for, for the entire family. I think everyone in the family should get a vitamin D test. It should be part of routine routine checkup and, um, you know, making sure that you're, you're supplementing with an adequate amount of vitamin D is important. Well, Dr. Patrick, Dr. Ames, thank you very much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. My thanks again to my guests, Dr. Rhonda Patrick and Dr. Bruce Ames from the Children's Hospital Oakland Research Institute. We've been discussing autism spectrum disorder. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com featuring podcasts of this and other series. I've been your host, Paul Rakuski, and thank you for listening.